Well, hey, church, how you guys doing this morning? All right, how many of you guys were at that Tiffin game on, uh, on Friday night? They beat the number two team in the state. I mean, come on, people. That was good. That was, I watched that. Uh, I get to walk there now, so can't argue with that. It's pretty sweet. Me and my boys just go. Um, good times. But uh, hey, we're glad to see you here this morning. Today, we are going to start a brand new series uh, called Sketchy Views of God. And really, the, the premise behind this whole series, premise behind this whole thing that we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks is that uh, what do we do when our friends and our family members and our coworkers and the people around us and just all these different people, what do we do when the people in our lives have doubts about faith and have questions about faith? Or maybe for some of you, this hits a lot closer to home. Maybe for some of you, you're just like, you know, lately you're just like, man, I don't even know. Like, I don't know about all this stuff. I just have, you just have questions. Right, you got questions about Christianity, you got questions about the church or Jesus and the resurrection, like what's up, what's up about that? Or maybe you got questions about, about the Bible, or maybe for some of you, it's just like you're questioning, you're questioning all of it. You know, you're just like, man, I don't know, like, like how do I even know that there is a God? Or how do I even know that God actually exists? And so you look at Jesus and you got questions about that, and you're like, man, a dead guy coming back to life like 2,000 years ago, like I don't know, you know, how am I supposed to, how do I know that's true? Or maybe you got questions about evolution, or maybe it's just the problem of evil, and you're like, I just, don't, I just don't understand how this all fits together, and you're looking at it all, and you're just like, man, this just doesn't sit well, this whole Jesus, faith, God area of your life. But then you look at the exact opposite, right? You go to the other extreme, and there's just something about, you know, a godless universe that it reduces life to just chemistry and biology and, and where, where we have no purpose and everything's just, nothing's good or evil. There's nothing that really matters in life that just, I don't know, man, it just doesn't sit well with you either. And so I think there's a lot of people around us and there's a lot of people in our community that just kind of feel, maybe there's a lot of people in this room this morning, you just kind of feel stuck in the middle. You don't really know what to do. You don't really know what to make of it. And it's just like when, when it comes to Jesus and God, it's, you're just like, man, I have all these doubts that come with this. Um, and, but, but then atheism or a world without God, it's just like, I don't know, that, like that type of world doesn't excite you either. And I just want to say this right up front. I just want to say that it's completely normal and okay to have doubts and questions about God. It's, all right? it's completely normal to have questions and doubts about your faith. In fact, doubts happen, right, when faith encounters the real world, right? That's where doubts arise from. I mean, have you ever had it where you think of a question, you're like going through life, and you experience something within your life, and, um, and you, you know, and it's just like, it kind of rocks you, where you're just like, oh man, you think of this question that you don't have the answer to, and you're like, okay, how does my belief, or how does my faith interact with this problem in the world? And you kind of feel this like wave of horror that's like, oh no, has anybody ever thought about this before? I don't know, I, you know, now I don't know what to think, you know, like that type of thing. All right, here's the deal. You do not have to check your brain at the door to give your life to Jesus, okay? And I don't want us to think that we do. It's a good thing to have real questions about your faith because real questions push you to search for real answers. And doubts can end up drawing us deeper in our relationship with God. And in fact, we know that God encourages us to find answers. Finding answers is good. We see this in First uh, Peter. Peter tells us that we need to be ready at any time, all right? Any time means any time. Okay, morning, in the middle of the night, during the day, whatever. It doesn't matter. Anytime. All right, we need to be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason 
for the hope that is in you. Meaning, we should have reasons to why we believe what we believe. All right, we just don't have blind faith as Christians. All right, we just don't have blind faith and like, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus and I believe in God and you know that's just what I believe. All right, that's not that's not a good enough reason. That's not a good enough answer. All right, to why we have faith. All right, we are to be prepared. Peter's saying for people to ask you questions about why you believe what you believe, and one of the best ways to prepare is simply by asking questions yourself. All right, that's how we know. All right, we need to know why you believe what you believe, not just because mom and dad believed it, not because that's just how you were raised, not because your grandma took you to church one time and this is what you always believed, not because it brings you back to childhood and makes you feel warm and cozy inside, okay? That's not why we have faith. And I just want to point out, and I want you to listen to me here today, uh, listen, it is dangerous to have unquestioned and untested faith. You get that? It is dangerous to have unquestioned and untested faith. In fact, unquestioned and untested faith far too often eventually leads to people walking away from the faith, but actually shows us that they truly, technically, didn't have real faith at all um, to begin with. But because that happens, because unquestioned and untested faith is accompanied by um, our preconceived and self-made expectations of who we think God would be and who we think God should be. Okay? Work, walk with me here. What ends up happening is that many people leave Christianity or many people leave their faith for reasons that really have nothing to do with real faith, all right? Meaning we, we create this like God in our minds. We make up this God in our minds that we think, okay, this is how God should be and this is how God would be. But in reality, that God doesn't actually exist, all right? Life happens, Right? God doesn't meet our expectations, and for some reason, God doesn't meet our assumptions. And so a lot of people, what they end up doing, and you've seen this probably within peoples within your lives. You, some of you guys, you've seen this. This is exactly what's happened in your life, where you have walked away from your faith because God didn't meet your expectations, because he didn't match your assumptions. And I just want to say, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you walked away from your faith. You should walk away from that faith. You should run from that faith, because the God that you lost faith in never existed in the first place. See, you walked away not because you're dumb, right? not because you weren't asking the right questions, not because you're a bad person, but because you had the wrong God and you just didn't realize it. See, just because the God that you believed in right, doesn't exist, that doesn't mean that a real God doesn't exist. And so this is what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. All right, we are going to be looking uh, through some common misconceptions about the real God, and we're going to start with this idea that God somehow or in some way is like our bodyguard type God, okay? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, it seems like whenever I talk to a skeptic or whenever I talk to maybe even an atheist or someone who just doesn't buy into the whole, you know, Jesus thing, it seems like usually, almost every time, all right, their main argument against the existence of God or the main argument against a personal God is that uh, they look at it and they say something like, hey, if God could prevent terrible tragedies and if God could prevent evil in this world, then why does he allow evil and terrible tragedies to happen in the first place? All right? That's a pretty good question, right? All right? That's, by the way, let me just say this. All right? Some of you guys are like, uh, yeah, am I supposed to say yeah to that? You know, I, don't know. Okay. That's a good question. Okay. That's a question that every single one of us, whether we're a Christian or not, okay, because we got both types of people in this room today. All right. That's a good question that every single one of us should be asking. It's really a classic argument. It's the idea that, e that either God is all powerful, 
okay, on one hand, but he's just not very good, all right? He's not a good guy. Therefore, he just chooses not to stop evil, or God is all good, all right, all good, but he's just not all powerful, meaning he doesn't have the ability to stop evil, so therefore he can't stop evil, all right? See, the general tendency for us is to blame God for everything that's going on in the world. And we think if God is good and loving, then why doesn't he prevent evil? And it messes with us and we think about it. We're just like, I don't know. Like, I don't know the answer to that question. So now I don't know about God. Like, is God real? Okay, that's a good, you know, like how does those things go together? But our issue when we do that, I just want to kind of put this into context here, is that people who say this or when we say this, what we're saying is that God does not meet our criteria for goodness. Okay, that's what we're saying because we're saying how could God be good? And the question to that is like who's determining that? Well, we are, actually, right? And what we're ending up doing is, you know, we're saying, I believe in my opinion that God should do this. And I believe, like, my opinion is that God should do that. And when we do this, we're actually making ourselves, like, the moral center of the universe. And as you can imagine, that's a problem. Because every single one of us are messed up, right? Like, none of us are perfect. Okay, yeah, all right. Some of you guys are louder than others. You know, okay? Some of you guys are pointing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the person. <laughs> See, for some reason, we feel like God, all right, should be protecting us from everything that we deem, not God, that we deem bad. We feel like God, for some reason, should be guarding us from all hurt, from all pain, from all suffering that we could possibly encounter. But God never once claims to be our ultimate bodyguard God. Right, like you can search your Bible, it's just not there. You can look for it, but it's something that almost everybody or a lot of people, especially skeptics, is something that they point to and say, well, well, how could God do this? Why would God allow this? Like I have something going on in my life that shouldn't be there. I just don't understand. It's just bad. And how could God, being good, could allow that? See, that idea of God is something that we've created in our minds. And the reality is that God isn't real. In fact, the thing we got to understand is that there is a cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. Okay, get this. There's a cause and effect relationship, all right, between sin and suffering. This is something that we've all experienced. Um, uh, have you ever gotten in trouble? Well, come on, yeah. Um, remember when you got in trouble, all right, as a kid, got in trouble with your parents? You know what I'm talking about? Like they told you not to do something and you do it. You know, you, some of you guys are parents. You're like, oh, I know. You, you're dealing with this all the time. I remember when I was in, uh, I was probably a sophomore in high school or so. I had a bunch of buddies over. Uh, we were behind my house. We were lighting off uh, fireworks and bottle rockets and mortars and just all those kind of fun things. And so we're doing this. And um, we've been doing this for hours, and it was late at night. And I remember my dad coming out, and he's like, enough. Okay, he's like, not one more. I think he was trying to go to sleep. That's probably why we're right outside his window lighting these things. And so he's like, all right, you guys are done. All right, it's, you know, I don't want you guys messing with the neighbors, and, you know, it's, it's time to wrap it all up. He's, and he specifically said, not one more. And we're like, okay. And so we're all good, goodish kids, you know. We're like, all right, so we're done. But then one of my buddies, his name's Thomas, he came out, and he's like, I have one more. And he was like, and he said, and this, he's like, this is a class A. And I don't even know if he knows, I don't even know if a class A is like a thing or a class or anything, but it sounded really awesome. I don't even know if he knew anything. He probably didn't. He's probably just making that up. But it was bigger than all the rest of them. We're like, a class A, that's so awesome. I don't know what that is, but we should light it. And so we're like looking around and I'm like, okay, all right, we got to be a little smart about this because 
you know, we're not super idiots. We're in high school now. And so I'm like, okay, behind our house, there was a ravine where there's a creek down there. And I'm like, we'll go down to that ravine. We'll light this baby off and he'll never hear it. You know, we'll be all good. And so that's what we do. We went down and we light this like big old mortar. And this thing, you know, we're in a ravine. So I'm thinking that'll block the sound and stuff. This thing was like 10 times louder than any of the other ones that we had ever, that we had, that we have lit up to that point. And I remember it like echoed and the ground like shook and there's like smoke everywhere. And at that point, like right after it was done, we're all just kind of looking at each other. And my friends were like, yeah, we're going home. See ya later. And they all left and left me to go into my house. And guess who was waiting for me? My dad. And he was not happy. And I got punished for that, even though I wasn't the one who technically lit it. It's Thomas. Dang Thomas. Like Satan, you know, tempting me with that. That Anyway, don't tell. Eh, he's not here. We're good. <laughs> Everything's online now, so I got to watch what I say. Thomas might be watching this sometime. Anyway, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's that. We've all experienced um, the, the relationship between sin and suffering when it comes to our personal behavior, right? We've all been there. All right, when we do something wrong, a lot of times there's natural consequences or natural punishments that come with what we do wrong. But there's something even beyond this. Actually, this goes beyond our personal behavior. There's a universal relationship between sin and suffering, and this is the part that we have a problem with. And Paul actually explains this in Romans chapter 5. Paul says, uh, just as sin entered the world through one man. See, Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's taking us all the way back to the beginning when God created the world, when God created Adam and Eve and, and, and us. He's saying before there was sin, like there was a time before sin, and the world was how God designed it. I mean, the world was perfect. In fact, God, after he had created Adam, and after he had created Eve, and after he had created the sweet place for them to live, and the entire, uh, and the entire earth, and all the stars, and everything, after God had created everything, he looks down at this, and again, Adam and Eve are a part of this, and he doesn't say, this stuff's good. He looks around, he says, this is very good. See, before God, before sin entered, dude, our, this place was awesome. It was a perfect place that God describes as very good. I mean, we, think about how we were originally created. Like, we were innocent. We were ageless. We were immortal. We had the ultimate setup. It was awesome in the Garden of Eden. And, like, Adam, Adam's, like, legit job, job description was, here's God. He's like, hey, this is what I want you to do, Adam. All right, here's your job. I want you to go check out everything that I made, okay? And I want you to enjoy it. And then maybe you could come talk to me about it, and, uh, and we'll, you know, in the evenings we'll take a walk and we'll talk about all the things that you discovered today. How's that, how's that sound? Like, doesn't that sound pretty sweet? All right. That's how life was supposed to be. That's how God created us. No pain, no suffering, no one stubs their toe. You know, just all the, like, all even the, the little things. Like, none of that existed, and they had one rule. One rule. Doesn't that kind of make you mad at Adam? Although we would do the exact same thing. You're just like, dude, one rule? You kidding me? They couldn't do one rule? Don't eat from that? Like, that's it? That's all they had? See, some of us, we think, like, we look around and we're like, okay, you know, we think God, we view the Bible as like God's trying to restrict us. Like, oh, man, we can't, can't do that. Can't do that. Definitely can't do that. That's a no-no. Like, all this stuff, we're like, God just doesn't want me to have any fun. You know, like that type of thing. That's not how it's supposed to be. No, God gave them 
one rule. Not like 10,000 rules that they had to memorize. No, he gave them one rule. He was given, they were given almost complete freedom by God to live and to worship the way that they wanted to, the way that they, you know, however they wanted to during their life. And it was Satan who convinced Adam and Eve to rebel against God. And when that happened, sin entered the world through Adam. And that caused issues. And along with sin came, unfortunately, death and suffering through sin. And in this way, death spread to all people, all right? Not some of the people, not the bad people only, all right? Death and, and suffering spread through all people because all have sin. Every single one of us in here, we're all under the same boat, all right? We all are sinners. We are messed up, jacked up, horrible, terrible people. Welcome to grace, okay? This is just, this is just the reality of it. See, he, what Paul's arguing here is he's saying, hey, sin entered the world, and then and because of that, universal suffering also entered the world as well. And every single one of us in this room, every single person on the planet, we're all affected by this, and there's nothing that we can do about it, right? Which, kinda, which, which is a bummer, right? Like, we can't pray it away. We can't faith it away. We can't obey it away. Like, that'd be super nice if we could do that, but that's just not how it works. See, the ultimate issue is for us is not pain and suffering that we have to experience in this world. Actually, the real issue for us is sin, that's what brought on the pain and suffering. And the Bible is super clear that, that the world is under a curse of death that we brought on by our sin. We screwed it up. Not God. This isn't God's doing. We're the ones. He gave us a choice. He gave us one rule. Or it's, the, it's the simplest thing that we could possibly have. And we were the ones that messed it up, and so because of that, we are responsible. And every day when we sin, every single one of us, we just confirm that. Actually, one time, people have been asking about this, the relationship between sin and uh, suffering and how that all you know, comes together. People have been wondering about this for a long time. In fact, the disciples, one time they asked Jesus, they see a blind guy, they're like, hey, what's his problem? What did he do wrong? Right? And Jesus is just like, that's not, that's not how any of this works. Okay? It's not because he did something wrong. Right? It's just, there's just universal suffering. Like, we are not perfect. Nobody's body's perfect. Um, another time in Luke chapter 13, we see that um, some people come up and they kind of confront Jesus about this idea, this relationship between sin and suffering. And they ask him, they're just like, hey, Jesus, um, they kind of talk about two different situations. One situation is where the governor, who happened to be Pilate, how he um, had put to death a bunch of Jewish people. And they're like, what's up with that? Okay, why do they deserve that? Did they do something really wrong? And then the other situation was they were talking about this tower that used to stand in Jerusalem and probably recently had it had collapsed and it had killed 18 people. And so they're asking Jesus about this, very similar to situations that we see in a sense here today. They're like, okay, so what about them? All right? What about, you know, were those people more sinful than everybody else so the tower collapsed and killed them? Like, is that what's going on? Like, God, God got them? Because if they were good people, like, why would God not save them? Like, what's going on here? And they're just like, why does this stuff happen? And Jesus' response is, he's just like, man, are you kidding me? Right? You guys don't understand this? He says, you will all die. You will all die. That's a bummer, right? We all will experience this unless Jesus comes back all right, before. He's saying, hey, Jesus, like, you all will die. Everybody's guilty. We all need saved. Every single one of us, we have to deal with the ramifications of universal suffering 
for all of us. And so this whole idea of like sickness and natural disasters and, and accidents, it's actually because it actually, those things actually happen because of us living in a fallen and sinful messed up world that we messed up. See, we see pain and suffering. I mean, think about it. <laughs> even, it even affected Jesus' life. There's one time Jesus, and this story should be familiar with you since we just studied the book of John um, for like eight months. Man, it's less than that. But for a long time, all right, most, uh, half this year. Uh, but one time Jesus, he had this good friend, um, and he had a, two sisters. So it was this, he had this friend named Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, and they were super close. And um, one time Jesus wasn't around, and Lazarus got sick, Okay. And so Mary and Martha, uh, Jesus is about a day's walk away. And so they hurry up. When they find out that, you know, Lazarus isn't getting any better, this is pretty serious of a deal, they go and they send a messenger to Jesus saying, hey, um, actually we see this in John chapter 11. They say, uh, the messenger says, hey, Lord, the one who you love is sick. Now, just let me stop you right there for a second. All right, imagine being so close with Jesus that someone's talking about you to Jesus and they don't even have to mention your name. They just say, hey, Jesus, what's up, Jesus? Uh, The one that you love is is sick, and Jesus knows immediately that you're the one that he's talking about. Isn't that kind of crazy to think about? Like, they don't even say Lazarus. They're just like, hey, the one that you love, and Jesus is like, oh, Lazarus, okay. You know, that's pretty sweet. And so Jesus and Lazarus are just really, really, really good friends. All right, this is kind of type of friend. This is next level type friends. Like, you know, you have um, friends that come over once in a while. Then you got friends that like come over all the time, maybe too much. And, uh, and those friends, they can like, it's totally fine. They just go in your fridge. They take whatever they want to eat or drink and it's all good. Like refrigerator rights type friends. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, like those types of friends. Jesus and Lazarus are like refrigerator rights type friends. Okay, they're super tight. And so um, they're super close, but check it out. Lazarus is sick. I just want to point out that your pain does not indicate a lack of love by God. Like we so often, for some reason, feel. Jesus cares for, in fact, Jesus loved Lazarus, yet Lazarus still got sick. I mean, think about that. Not only does Jesus love Lazarus, but Jesus also loved his two sisters, Martha and, and Mary. He loved them as well. See, he cares about all of them. And so here we see that he loves Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, what's he do, right? Like he goes as fast as he can. He's like, all right, all right, pack your bags, disciples, let's go. All right, we got to go to Lazarus' house. We got to go because there's not much time. Um, you know, I don't want him dying on me now, like that type of thing. Like um, he doesn't say, all right, give me a camel. I don't know what they, like donkey, whatever they had back then, right? He doesn't call Uber or anything like that. Um, what he does is he stayed two more days, in that place where he was. And you read this and you're just like, wait, what? Did he not hear what the messenger said? All right, so this is so important that they send a messenger saying, hey, you better get here quick, Jesus, because Lazarus is sick. And he stays two more days? See, this doesn't sit well within our culture. In fact, this is the question that many of us in this room are probably wrestling with. We're looking at this, we're like, okay, well, you know, if God is real, then why would he allow me to go through this pain, whatever it is within our life? Or some of us, it's even deeper. It's okay. Well, if God loves me, like the Bible says he does, then why am I going through this pain? And let me be completely honest with you. I don't know. 
I don't know. I think there could easily be a million good reasons to why we go through certain pain and certain suffering. But God, the one thing I do know is that God does not owe us a painless life. Never in the Bible does he promise us a painless life. See, the God that promises a painless life, a God that, that promises that nothing's going to go wrong in life, is a God that we invent in our minds. And the truth is here is that Jesus loves Lazarus. I mean, we see that. He loves Lazarus, and Lazarus is sick. Both can be true at the same time. And I think this is confusing to us in our lives because we don't understand what God is doing. And I'm sure this was very confusing for his disciples. And they're just like, what? Okay, why are we staying here? What's going on? All right. But Jesus was up to something. A couple days go by. And so Jesus goes to his disciples. Is that's like his crew. All right. Because his main guys, there's 12 of them at that point. And so Jesus is like, okay, guys, um, let's, go, let's go see. Let's go visit Lazarus now. He says, let's go back to Bethany. Bethany was a town that Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived in. It was actually extremely close to Jerusalem. And his disciples... They're like, I don't know about this, Jesus, right? Because they're saying, hey, Jesus, if you remember correctly, maybe, you know, maybe you forgot, I don't know, but let me refresh your memory. The last time we were near Jerusalem, you remember all those religious leaders in Jerusalem? He says, they're like, remember, they were trying to um, kill you. I don't know if that's a good idea that we go like went right in their backyard. See, they're saying, they're saying they're coming after you, Jesus. And I've pointed this out before that Jesus, he was, let's label him maybe as like the ultimate religious leader okay, but he never gravitated towards religious people, okay, people who are nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus, and Jesus liked them back, and so Jesus, he says this, he says, okay, um, here's the deal, our friend Lazarus, he's fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up, and his disciples, they hear this, Jesus is like, what are you talking about, all right, what do you mean, he, he's asleep, you know, should we, should we go wake him up, and, and they're kind of playing the card, they're just like, you know what, I, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I know you're from heaven, okay, and I know you're God, but let me just kind of clue you in to uh, kind of how, how things work down here. Um, when people are sick, it's usually best that they stay in bed, right? Like if people are sick, like let them get their rest so they'll get better. That's what, that's what they, uh, they push back. They're like, Lord, okay, if he has fallen asleep, he'll get well. That's just how, Jesus, just how it works here. And Jesus, but that's not what Jesus was saying. John gives us a little commentary. He's like, Jesus, however, was speaking about his death. Meaning, here's Jesus, and he's trying to say, like, uh, basically, he's trying to say it in a nice way, like, hey, guys, hate to break it to you, but Lazarus has passed away. What he's trying not to say is, like, hey, Lazarus croaked, okay? All right, you get the difference there? That's what he's talking about. But they didn't understand, and so they're not getting it. And so Jesus just tells them plainly, he's like, okay, that's what I'm saying. Lazarus died, all right? He croaked, he's gone, he's dead. And they're all just like, wait, what? What do you mean he's Lazarus is dead? And Jesus says, check this out. He says, and I'm glad. We're like, what? You read that and you're just like, you know, sometimes we just skip over words. But that's an important word. We're like, what? Jesus is saying, I'm glad I didn't save him? What? Well, he, he's glad that he let him die. I mean, this sounds so foreign to us. We look at this and this just, I don't know. There's just something within us. That, I don't know, it, just, it just does not feel, sit well with us. I mean, after all, we think, like, what kind, of, 
really good friend who has the ability to save you and chooses not to, you know, chooses not to when, when you need him most. Like, we think naturally, like, we're just like, man, that's kind of messed up. Jesus just let his friend die? See, our culture points at Jesus here and is like, man, that, that's just a bad friend. But there's a reason for it. He says, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there. I'm glad he died. Here's the reason. So that, all right, there's a reason behind it. So that you guys may believe. He's saying, hey, guess what? All right, I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I didn't heal him. And the whole reason why all this happened was actually for you. So let's go to him. He says, then Thomas, all right, Thomas, all right, called the twin, that's his nickname. He said to his fellow disciples, he's all right, let's go to so that we may die with him. Okay, Thomas is one of those. Do you ever have one of those friends that are just like negative all the time? You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? He's like, okay, this, that's, that's Thomas here. I mean, that's just who Thomas was. Not the most positive, upbeat disciple. He's basically just saying, all right, Lazarus is dead. Jesus is going to die because we're going to go to the place where all these important, powerful people want to kill him, and we're all going to die. So let's just all go and die. Okay, that's like, that's like what Thomas is saying here. And, uh, and so they go, and they begin walking, even though they walk the opposite way in Thomas's mind. They're like, we should be going the other way, but we're going towards danger. Um, when they get close to the town of Bethany... Obviously, the sisters come running up, and they, they hear that Jesus is coming, so they go running up to Jesus, and of course, they're crying. And uh, at this point, Lazarus has been dead for four days, and they say things that we would say, right? They say things like, hey, Jesus, if, if only you had been here, all right? If only you were around, if only you would have come when we told you to come, like you could have healed him. You could have you fixed all this situation. I mean, think about it. Have you ever prayed something like that before? We're just like, man... Okay, I got this thing going on in my life, and I asked you, God, like, I told you about this. Like, if you're there and you listen to my, what I say, like, I told you about this. Like, God, you could have fixed this. God, you could have stopped this in my life, but you didn't. You're late. And I don't understand why. That's how his sisters feel. And Jesus sees this. When he sees her crying and the Jews who had come up with her crying, he says he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Now, this word for deeply moved in the original Greek, this is a, it's kind of a complicated word. Um, it literally means grieved to the point of anger. Okay? Think about this. Here's Jesus. He sees their sadness. Right? He sees everything that's, that's going on within their, their lives and, and how it's not even just about Lazarus anymore. It's about Mary. It's about Martha and all these people who are just grieving and they're crying because they're experiencing suffering and they're experiencing pain. And he is moved by grief to the point of anger. It's like this idea that Jesus, he looks around and it bothers him because he's got emotions too. And he's just like, he's just like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Jesus is just like, like, this is not how I created it. This is not how it was supposed to be at the beginning. This is all messed up. This is not what I want for my people. And so Jesus cried. So Jesus sees their sadness. And he's flooded with emotion. And he cries. Even though he knew the outcome. Right? And spoiler alert, and you guys should know this because we just studied this. But uh, even though Jesus knew that he was about to bring Lazarus back to life, right, he still cries. 
And, and people are kind of, like the crowd that's there, they're kind of torn between this. Because some people in the crowd, they're just like, okay, well, man, Jesus, look at him crying. Like, he really loved Lazarus. I knew it. And then others in the crowd are asking the question that we all would have been sitting there asking. Like, okay, well, why didn't he fix it? All right, why didn't he heal, heal Lazarus? Why didn't he come? Why did he stay in the place, you know, where he was? Why didn't he come sooner? And so in verse 38 it says, then Jesus deeply moved again. Okay, it's that same word. Here he is. He's, he's grieving to the point of anger. This is not how he created creation. This is not how it was. It's supposed to be. He says, he came to the tomb, and it was a cave, which was common back then. That's what they buried people in. And a stone was lying against it. Again, normal. It says, he calls out. He just says, remove the stone. And then Martha, who's like one of those like rule follower people. Okay, everything has to be by the book. You know, people like that, like type A type person. All right, she comes. She's like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, Jesus, you can't be doing that, okay? Um, Lazarus, and she's grieving, of course. She's like, he's, um, there's already going to be a smell, a stench, because he has been in there. He's been dead for four days. She's like, he's been dead for four days. This is not good. All right, we can't, no, this isn't honoring to Lazarus. All right, this is not what we should be doing. But Jesus, and he talks to her a little bit, but he kind of ignores her request, and he just shouts with a loud voice. He just says, all right, um, whatever, Martha. Hey, Lazarus, come on out. And the dead man, and John, by the way, who's writing this, was there. He's like, I saw this with my own eyes. It was crazy. He says, the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in the cloth. He's still all wrapped up. He says, and Jesus said to them, well, unwrap him. Let him go. You know, I picture everybody in the crowd at that moment. They just see, like, Lazarus come out, and, you know, they're just, like, you know, probably covering their noses or getting ready. They move the stone, and, Lazarus, and he says, come on out. And they're probably like, this is so awkward. You know? <laughs> like, this is the most awkward funeral they've ever been to. They're just like, Jesus, shh, you know? He's not going to come out. And then Lazarus comes out, and they're like, what the heck is going on here? You know, like that type of thing. And here comes Lazarus, and he's just like all wrapped up. He's like, okay, what is that? Where am I? I'm in a cave. You know, he just walks out, and, Jesus, and he, it's hard for him to walk. Jesus like, unwrap the guy. Okay, go help the guy out. He's like struggling here. And um, many of the Jews who came to Mary and who were there mourning Lazarus at his funeral saw what he did, and they believed in Jesus. I bet they did. Undeniable, right? And these are people who were at Lazarus's funeral just a few days before. Now they're watching him walk out of his grave. They're just like, what is going on here? And they're probably questioning, but they're just, my eyes, they're questioning what they see. See, the things that we got to understand is that our suffering is a part of a bigger story, okay? Our suffering is ultimately a part of his story. And sometimes I totally get it. Like, we, we can't see it, all right? We don't know, you know, where that story is going, we don't know how our pain fits into it, but God is bigger than us. Thank goodness. Notice, because Jesus allowed Lazarus to die, which, can I just say this? I'm assuming that wasn't Lazarus' first choice, right? Like, I'm assuming dying for Lazarus, I mean, he was sick. I don't think that was pleasant. I don't think that was fun, unless he died in his sleep. Maybe that was, like, totally painless. I don't know. Like, I don't know how that all works. None of us do because none of us have died yet, uh, but we will. Um, but here he is. You know, I don't think that was, like, fun for him. Like, if God gave me the choice and said, okay, Zach, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the experience of dying. You know, he says, I'll, I'll, I'm going I'm to let you die this afternoon, and I'm going to bring you back on Monday morning. All right? Can you do that? And I'll be like, uh, can we not? <laughs> you know, like, can I, is there an option B? 
here. Like, I would rather not, like, how about I just live through it all? You know what I mean? Um, like, like, if I had that choice, like, I wouldn't want to die, even though if I knew I was going to get raised back to life. But because Jesus allowed Lazarus to experience this pain and suffering, because Jesus allowed Martha and Mary to, to experience loss and to experience pain and suffering themselves, you know what happens? Many believed. A whole bunch of people give their lives to Jesus. And in fact, it really got me thinking this week, because I was thinking, I was just like, you know, if I knew this was happening because of pain and suffering in my life, like, if, would I be willing to experience hurt, pain, and loss if it means that someone finds Jesus? Does it make you think about that? Like I, was, I was just thinking, I'm like, if, would I be willing to experience hurt, pain, and loss if God could take it and use it for good in someone else's story? Or ultimately in his story? See, that's what God promises. This is actually a promise that I lean on so often in my life. It says, Paul tells us back to Romans. He says, we know that all things, okay, all things, that's the good things and the bad things, okay, he says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Now, can I just point out one thing? This does not say um, that uh, we know that all things work together for the good for everybody. Did you notice that? Notice he qualifies this. He narrows this down. He's saying, God promises us. He says, we know that all things work together for the good for those who love God, meaning people who have given their lives to Jesus at some point in our life. God can use anything in our life no matter how horrible, no matter how bad we think it is, God can use it for good. It's a promise to us. That's good news, right? Okay, killing me. <laughs> That's good news. Coupled with the fact, I mean, think about it. Anything that happens in our life, if we have given our lives over to Jesus, so, so most of us in this room, let's say, Anything, whatever bad thing, whatever storm you're going through, whatever horrible thing you have to deal with in your life, God's saying, guess what? I know you can't see the good, and I know it's not, it's not technically good, and I know this is because of sin, and you know, this is suffering that you have to go through, and this is not how I meant life to be. But he's saying, I can use that thing, and I can, I can manipulate it for good in your life. And we take that promise, and we couple, with, couple it with the fact that God tells us that he has a plan, and that our pain and our suffering fits into his story somehow. And that his story is going to put an end to pain eventually and suffering. Because this ain't how it's supposed to be. It's something we can rely on. It's something we can put our faith in. And so here's the deal. One day your world will fall apart. You are going to suffer. You will experience pain you will experience hurt. You will experience loss. And when you're going through whatever that is, whenever that is, you can grieve. You can even be angry. You can be emotional. You can cry. But at least within this realm, you do not have to question. Not anymore. See, God's not some bodyguard God. He never promises to be. He never claims to be. 
He's not some bodyguard God that protects us from all suffering in this broken world. And if that's the God that you believed in at some point in your life and you've walked away from your faith and you're just like, man, I just, I just don't, I, he, I, he allowed this to happen and I don't think he's good if he even exists at all because your world got rocked when pain entered your world and it caused you to walk away from whatever faith you had, I'm glad you did. Good. Because that God's not real. We are not exempt from pain. On one hand, and he loves us. Both can be true at the same time. If you think about Jesus, he's the ultimate example of this. He didn't even exempt himself from pain. In fact, he experienced more pain and loss and suffering than we would ever know. More than we'll ever experience in our life. Because we mess this world He cares about us. He loves us. He's got a plan to fix the broken world that we brought upon through our rebellion against him. And he promises for those of us who have given our lives to him, that he can use anything in our life for good. He's not going to shield us from it, but he will use it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these promises that you've given us today. And Lord, we ask that, that you would help us. Pain and sorrow and hurt and suffering, just everything that comes along with it, God, it's just, it's hard. And you know it's hard because you've walked through suffering just like us. You've been in our shoes. And God, we know this isn't how you created it and this is not what you want, but it's how it is. And God, we know that you're going to fix it. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for that promise. God, we ask that you'd help us live our life and be able to get through the suffering that we have in our life through you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.